So we're going to be in Matthew chapter 4 um, today as we continue to walk through uh, the book of Matthew together. Um, and we're going to be looking at, uh, at something I'm, I, I've, been, I've been thinking about a lot. I've been kind of focusing on I've been trying to figure out for myself exactly how to do this and how to apply it. Because it's a passage that's really, really familiar, but the, the implications of it are huge. It's a passage that's really familiar for a lot of us, but the implications of it are, are, are huge. And I think I'm still just figuring out. Um, just how huge the implications of this thing are. Um, before we get to that, um, so it's, it, it, <clears throat> all of us want to be considered um, leaders, I think. I don't think anybody, if I were to ask you, just raise your hand and say, how many of you want to be leaders in the room? And a lot of you raise your hands. And how many of you want to be followers in the room? Like you aspire to be a follower where someone else sets your agenda, tells you where, like, that, you just, except, okay, Trevor. But the rest of you um, want to lead Trevor, and, and he's going to follow along behind. No, no, that's not something that our, our culture values. You're not, you're not told to, to, to be good, good followers. You're not told to, um, to just get in line. That's not something that you're trained up to do. Especially in our culture in America, like we're, we're trained to be people who are, are leaders. You as a teenager, you're told, um, uh, just explicitly told, like on, on an ongoing basis, that what you're supposed to do with your life is that you're supposed to lead it. You're supposed to be your own boss. Like you're supposed to be in charge. And, and really, the, the, the success or failure rate of your life is pretty much dependent upon you. That if you work hard and you lead yourself well and you go down the right path and you make all the right choices, then you are going to get where you want to go. It's all about you and how you are going to handle your life. What the, the, your, your culture, like all the cultural narratives that you kind of have, like all the stories, all the sitcoms, all the movies, everything, it all has this kind of underlying current where, where what we're told is what we're supposed to do is that um, we're supposed to look inside ourselves. Before you, as you begin to plan the rest of your life, you figure out where you're going to go and what you're going to do and what your life is going to be about. You start not by looking anywhere else, but except inside yourself. You start by looking inside yourself. And when you look inside your heart and your mind and you decide where it is you want to go, you look inside your heart and decide what matters to you and what, what's important to you and what you enjoy. And then you kind of list out the things that matter to you and that you enjoy and you desire and that you want to see yourself doing and three minutes or 30 years, and then you then have to craft a life to pursue what you want. That you find, find out what the desires of your heart are, and then you pursue those um, to find fulfillment. That's the way you're supposed to live your life. You look inside yourself to figure out where you want to go, and then you follow you. You get to be the leader. And I guess technically the follower, but you're both, okay? But like you're, you're the leader. You're the one setting pace. It makes sense. I'm not flying too far over your head there. But like in general, this is the way that that culture tells you to live. You figure out what you want to do. You figure out what matters to you. You figure out where you want to go and you chase it because you're the boss. Then we come to scripture. We come to the Bible and there's a different narrative altogether. And and that's, that's good because honestly, that narrative doesn't make any sense to me. It never really has. And it comes up a lot when I talk to college students who are like juniors in college and they still don't know like any better what they're going to do with the rest of their life than you do right now. Like if you're a ninth grader in the room, I could have the same exact conversation with you today about how you don't know what you want to do with the rest of your life as I can a junior in college. And at some point, they just make them pick. And they're like, well, I don't know, I guess I'm going to do this now. And they just do it, all right? But like, there's, and then we had this conversation with a college student where we just sit across the table from each other and I say, isn't it crazy that, they, that like, like the world expects a 20-year-old to be able to figure out on their own what they're going to do with the rest of their life? 
And when you're at face with that choice, you're like, this is dumb. I'm not capable of making this choice. No one should let me do this. Okay. Some, there's gotta be somebody who's got a better tech, like take on life who can give me some guidance here. And they start grabbing and looking for anybody, anyone who will kind of give them an idea of somewhere that they should go because looking inside yourself and trying to lead yourself to follow your desires. And this doesn't seem to work. Like, you know, you don't know where you're going, Right. I, I, it doesn't matter like, where you are in high school. Like, you, you know you don't know where you're going because you haven't been anywhere past where you are now. Do you know how to be a parent? No, because like, you, you have no experience with that. So, do you know how to be a college student? No. Are you really wanting to follow you? Are you really the best person to follow here? seems like there's a better choice. I remember being a teenager and like being, like having all this stuff put on me about what I'm going to do with my life and where I'm going to go and how all stuff's going to go. And even I, I even tried to build some pretty awesome plans, I thought, but man, like I, I, I wasn't a good person. I'm not a good person to follow. Like 17-year-old Britain was a moron, okay? Like nobody needs to follow 17-year-old Britain or 17-year-old you or 15-year-old you. We're not very good leaders of ourselves. We need something better. We need a better narrative. We need a better paradigm. We need someone, something better to follow than ourselves. Because following me, it never really worked out very well. In Matthew chapter 4, beginning in verse 18, um, Jesus goes on a walk uh, next to a lake. And um, it's a giant lake. It's called the Sea, the Sea of Galilee. And Jesus is on this walk by this lake, and he's walking along, and he sees some guys he's met previously. Um, and but but Jesus is about to begin being uh, Jesus publicly. I'm sorry, his like public ministry is about to just be full force Jesus and start doing all the things that are ultimately going to lead to him being killed. And he's and what Jesus is going to do is invite a few select people to to come and be his disciples, those who are going to be closest with him, and he's going to entrust them with really the message of Christ to the rest of the world forever. All right, so they're going to be like the first people to really get it. And so he walks up to two guys. There's these two guys, and they're out, they're out in this boat, and they're they're out there just doing their normal thing, like whatever you did today, like whatever your normal is. These guys are just doing their normal. Okay, it's just like a Tuesday. It's not even like Friday or something where you can be excited about something. It's just normal day. And these guys' normal day happens to be fishing. They're fishermen. They don't like like fishing for fun. Like I don't I don't actually know anyone who's a real fisherman. But these guys are like actually fishermen. This is the way that they earn their living. They go out. They got this big net. Say it's like a circle. It's got weights on the end. You can like frisbee it like that, and the weights sink, and it just kind of lands on some fish. And you're like, sorry, fish. I'm going to sell you so I can feed my family. All right, that's the way you do this. These two guys out there. They're out there in their boat, and they throw in the net, and they're doing the whole thing. And Jesus walks up to them. It says in verse 18, walking by the Sea of Galilee, Jesus he saw two brothers. Simon, who's called Peter, and his brother Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea for their fishermen. And then Jesus, he, he calls out to him. And he says this, he calls out to him, he says, follow me. Follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. He said, hey, we're going to go after people's souls. We're not going to go after fish. We're not just going to kind of hit the bottom line, just do normal anymore. Like, like this, is, this is about to be something crazy and I'm, I'm inviting you into this. Follow me. Follow me. It was this phrase that, that rabbis would use, um, like, the, like the holiest like teachers and stuff. They would go to the, the best and the brightest people. 
Like the, the guys, like there's all boys that would make it to this level. They didn't even let women do it. And so they would go to these guys and they would, they would say, if, if they got accepted into their like tutelage or whatever, they would, the, the phrase was, follow me. It was always the best and brightest, the smartest, like that, like the, the top tier people. Like those people at Sparkman who get like 6.0 GPAs or whatever fake thing you've got going on, all right? Like when I was in high school, it stopped at four, and that was all you got. And it was like 154s, and I wasn't one of them, all right? But those 154s would be on the list for the, for the rabbis to be like, follow me. Jesus goes up to two like randos fishing in a boat who didn't make the cut. That's why they're fishermen. They're not the best and brightest. They're not the most awesome people. They're not the ones studying like scrolls and stuff. They're just, they're just dudes trying to make a living. And he was like, hey, um, I know you got passed over by everybody else, which makes you perfect. Uh, follow me. I like fishers, man. Jesus extends this invitation to follow. And it's the same invitation he extends to us, basically. Every single, if you're a Christian in the room, he's already extended this invitation to you. Like that invitation is there. And if you've, ex, if you've chosen to follow him, then you've done something very specific. You, have, it's not cho- you haven't chosen to believe. You haven't chosen just to kind of like adopt a belief system or, or even less so a behavioral system. Like, oh, well, I'm a Christian-ish, so I'm going to be nice or whatever. No, he's not interested in that. He says, follow me. First thing I want you to see in this passage to tonight is, is, is this, that when Jesus invites somebody to follow him, whether it's these two guys in the boat or it's you, the invitation to follow necessitates, just like by the nature of the invitation, it necessitates change. Like if I'm, if I'm looking at you, if I'm looking at Will, I'm like, Will, follow me. Look, he did it. Great. That was perfect. So, <laughs> but he, he had to stop what he was doing. Currently, he was, he was, he was sitting still looking awesome, you know, and just doing that. But when I say, hey, follow me, that means stop doing that thing you're doing and instead do what I'm doing, right? It necessitates change. When Jesus walks up to somebody and says, follow me, it doesn't say, hey, stay exactly the way you are in the same mode of life, do exactly the same stuff you were doing otherwise, just pretty much ignore me completely and just like wear a cross necklace around your your neck. Is that it? No, 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 no. He says, hey, I know you used to be fishermen. Your entire life was built around, like the whole sustenance of your existence was built around one thing. Stop doing that thing and come with me. We're going to do something else. First thing I want you to see in this passage, if you've made a commitment to follow Jesus, if you're going to actively try to follow Jesus with your life, if you're going to do more than just try to behave or something, like if, if you want to be a follower of the, like the God of the universe, then it necessitates change. This is the thing we talked about last Wednesday night, and even in Disciple Now, we talked about how like following Christ wholeheartedly necessitates letting some things go. So as the passage continues, you start seeing this. You start seeing Jesus calling people to let things go. Verse 20, it kind of fast forwards a little bit. Verse 20, it says, immediately they left their nets and they followed him. They left their nets and they followed him. Then 21, going on from there, he saw two other brothers. Got a bunch of brothers, right? So James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother. James and John, both sons of Zebedee, like they, they were nicknamed the Sons of Thunder, which makes Zebedee Thunder, which means I wanted to name my boys James and John so I could be Thunder, all right? So Thunder's in the boat with his boys, James and John, and then it says that he sees them. And then in their nets, and Jesus called them to follow me, right? So in 22, it says, immediately they left their boat and their daddy. Left their boat and their family. Left their boat and, and, and family and followed him. 
The second thing I want you to notice is that following Jesus means leaving some things behind. Following Jesus, it necessitates leaving some things behind. You know, you and I, we're not, we're not very good at, at, at leading ourselves, and a lot of times it kind of leads us into some, some strange waters. Um, a couple of years ago, I was on a mission trip in, in Italy, and then I stayed over a little bit afterwards and just kind of wandered around Italy by myself. I might have told you this story before. I can't remember. I'm getting old. But so I, was, I, was, I, was, I know this is kind of a, like you can't relate because nobody gets to wander around Italy by themselves, but I for some reason got to. It worked out about as well as you'd think it would, like me in a foreign country there. I don't speak the language by myself, wandering around. That's exactly how it went, okay? And so I, I decided I wanted to go see the Vatican. I wasn't really sure what the Vatican was. I know it's called Vatican City, and the Pope lives there, and I wanted to give him a high five. And so I was going to go to the Vatican, all right? And so it's in Rome. I'm in Rome. I have a, I have a like, an old, like, iPhone 4 or something that somehow is sort of working on Wi-Fi, and I get the, the bus route. Like in Italian, and it's like, get on a bus, it's this bus, get on this, it's going to take you like near the Vatican, I hope, because this whole green space is the Vatican on Google Maps. And I was like, that's close enough, I'll figure it out. So I get on a bus, there's like 6,000 people on this bus with me, and eventually it like squirts me out near the Vatican. And I get off the bus, I'm like walking around, there's this giant wall, it's like the size of that wall. So, well, I don't think this is right because there's like no way to enter the, the wall. Again, I didn't, I didn't read a guidebook, didn't really know what I was doing. So I'm like, well, I think I'm here. It's a giant wall. They probably are scared people are going to like snatch the Pope or something. So he's probably behind the wall. I'm going to find a gate and just go in. That was the plan. So I'm standing in a giant wall. I get off the bus and I was like, well, I got to go left or right. So I just picked right arbitrarily. There's no reason for it whatsoever. And I start walking right and I just follow the wall because there's got to be a gate somewhere, Right. And so I find a gate. I start walking up to the gate. A guy with a giant gun like points it at me and he's like, no. <laughs> and I was like, cool. <laughs> you know, it's not that gate. It's, if, you, if you do this, if you try to go on this trip and you walk up to a, a gate with a guy with a giant gun and he says no, uh, you just keep moving. You just keep, keep walking. You just keep casing the joint like you're going to rob the Pope. And you just keep kind of making your way around the wall. The people with the snipers are probably watching. It's fine. You're fine. And so I keep making my way. I walked for like 20 minutes. Vatican City is not an overstatement. <laughs> okay. It's like literally a small city. Anyway, so I'm walking, I'm walking. I turn a corner and there's this like massive open courtyard with a bunch of tourist looking people out there. Right? Like they all look like they don't know what they're doing either. And this is the right spot. And nobody pointed a gun at me. So I just kind of walked in this massive courtyard thing. Now, the thing about the Vatican that I did read is that you can't go inside if you have on shorts. They don't like shorts at the Vatican. The Pope really, really doesn't like shorts. He doesn't let you in his house with shorts. Not a thing. All right. Cool. Can't wear shorts. It's 105 degrees in Italy that day. All right. So it's 105. I'm wearing shorts like a boss. Okay. Like I'm not, I don't care Pope or no Pope. Like I might get a glance at him through the window. I'm wearing the shorts. All right. I got sandals on. Pope's going to hate the sandals. Like it, I don't care. So I'm going with no, no plan to get inside this thing, but I'm just going to wander around and figure it out. And so I'm wandering around. I'm pretty happy with this, but there's this guy with a clipboard. I don't like people with clipboards. Do you like people with clipboards? When you go to Walmart and there's people with clipboards, what do you do? Leave. Just, I don't need groceries that bad. And you just leave, right? Like, I don't, I don't want to talk to people with clipboards. I don't care if you're a Girl Scout or like the FBI. I don't know, man. I don't want to talk to people with clipboards. It's just not a thing I do with myself. And so there's this guy in the clipboard and I'm like trying to get in the, the thing. It's like a, you know, a, I can see happy people and I want to go over there with them. I hope they have snow cones. And, and uh, I get, a, I'm, I'm some, but I, I got to pass the clipboards, right? 
And so I'm trucking. I do the thing. Like, what, what I do when I see clipboards, I just kind of tuck my head and just try to look angry. Maybe they just will skip me, you know, like they're just more scared of me than I am of them. You know, same, same approach as bears, right? And so I'm just trying to, like, force my way past the clipboard guy. Clipboard guy's not having it, okay? And so he, he, like, turns and starts walking next to me. He has some crazy accent. I don't know what it is, okay? I can barely understand anything he's saying, but he's awesome, and he is going to get me to talk to him about his clipboard, okay? So we're walking, and he's saying, listen, you want to go on a tour? I was like, dude, I have on shorts. Can't go in the building. I thought it was going to be a perfect out. I can't go in the building. I got on shorts. He's like, that doesn't matter. It's hot. I'm like, I don't think the Pope cares, dude. And so I'm still walking, arguing with this guy about the condition of my pants situation that's happening here at the Vatican. And he's just arguing with me about that. No, they're going to let you in because it's, it's, it's hot. And I was like, I'm, I'm, you're trying to get me to give you money and and I'm going to show up at the door and the Pope's going to be like, no, you got on shorts, get out. You know? So eventually the guys, he, he kind of like takes two quick steps, gets in front of me, like puts his hands on my shoulders in Italy, in a foreign country where I don't speak the language, don't know what's going on, right? Super scary. He puts his hand on my shoulder and he goes, bro, like, bro, I'm telling you, it's cool. And I was like, I don't know what happened to me, y'all. I don't know. I just believed him. Like, I was like, let's do this. And so he checks his watch. He, he like checks his watch. He goes, last tour, four minutes. We have to run. Follow me. <laughs> Last tour, four minutes. We have to run. Follow me. This is one of those points when this, this illustrates two things. It also illustrates why we shouldn't follow our, ourselves because we're dumb. So I'm like, cool, let's go. And I follow, I, t- I take off running through the giant Vatican courtyard, following a rando in some other country where he like sort of speaks languages and says, bro, and just says, follow. We, we run through the Vatican courtyard. We run out the other end of it. We start running into a neighborhood. I ran like two miles after this dude. I don't know where I was going. When you start leaving the place you're supposed to be entering and you're entering into like a sketchy neighborhood following a person you don't know, you should stop. I did not. Um, I was committed. I was following this guy, and he's like, follow me. And I was like, all right, I guess I, just, I might die here. I love you, Jess. And so I follow this dude out in this neighborhood. We turn a corner. We turn another corner. I'm completely lost at this point. I can't even get back to the Pope. And, and, and then finally, we turn this corner, and like a bunch of houses, just normal houses. And there's a bunch of like white people like standing around with headphones on on a corner. And I was like, are we kidding? I, got, I was committed to like being killed out here. There's actually a tour group. Standing on the street corner. Clipboard goes in the, in the building. He takes my credit card, which probably wasn't a good idea either. And then like comes back out, gives me a lanyard and some headsets. And he's like, have a great time. And like, he's gone. Totally worked out. I got, I didn't see the Pope, but I, I, I'm like in the Vatican taking pictures of stuff. I'm probably not allowed to take pictures of wearing shorts. I'm the only, like, I've talked to a bunch of people about this. No one ever got to go in the Vatican, but, but like me and the, the shorts guy, like that's it. I got to see, like, I, I took an illegal picture of the Sistine Chapel. Like, you're not supposed to do that. They're like, arrest you or something. I, got, I did it anyway. Just like, held my up phone by pointing up like that. And I was like, boom, what? You know? <laughs> I didn't care about the picture. I just want to say I did it. I, I got to see a whole lot more stuff that day. I was just going to check out the courtyard. I was going to be fine with that. I was just going to see the outside. I was going to take a little lap around it. Maybe go find a Dr. Pepper somewhere. Like, I, that's, that was my plan for the day. But instead, like I followed some, some guy that knew a whole lot more than me, apparently, and it just opened up this entire world that I wasn't about to get to experience on my own. 
Following somebody necessitates like a change of plan. It necessitates a change of what you're doing. I'm planning to wander around a courtyard. Will's sitting in a front row. When it says, follow me, that means you stop doing that thing you're doing and do something entirely and completely different. And it takes a level of trust. It takes a level of trust. A level of trust, honestly, a lot of us, if we'd say, what's your, what's your trust level with God? That trust level isn't enough to, to enable you to follow well. Because eventually it's going to come to a point, and we've been talking about this like the last week here, every time we've been together, all the way through Disciple Now Weekend, that at a certain point that following Christ requires leaving some things behind. For these, for these brothers, it, it meant leaving their, their livelihood. It meant leaving their family. It meant leaving their entire way of life. Peter's married, like, like leaving family for a time to, like, to go and do what God's invited you to do. There's a significant cost here. But listen, the cost of not following is far greater. I don't know how many of you like, know what it feels like to not be following Christ with your life. But if you do know what that's like, if, you, if, you, if you've wandered away from Jesus, if you're not a Christian in the room and this is your entire life has been walking contrary to the Lord, like there's, you understand that there's a weight and a burden and a darkness. There's a heaviness. There's a, a loneliness to being apart from him. There is a cost of following Jesus. Yes, it might mean you leave some things behind, but the cost of not following him is far, far greater. Sometimes I, I try to imagine myself being in, in, in passages, like when I'm reading through Scripture on my own, I try to just imagine myself being, in, being there, like what I would do if it were me, and it kind of like helps illuminate my heart a little bit. So I imagined what I would have done if I'd been in the boat. If I've been in the boat that day and, and, and Jesus, you know, walks up and I just try to imagine just being there with a the fisherman, being there with my brother. And I don't have a brother, but I just imagined a brother. I named him JJ. Like, and, and we're, in the, we're in the boat and, and, and Jesus walks up and, and he, he says, follow me. And I understand that that means leaving some stuff behind. That would mean leaving some things behind and just going after him. And I just imagine what I would do. You know what I think I would do? I think a lot of us would do. I think you would do the same thing. I think we would do the exact same thing that we would do if anybody asked us to follow us. Because we're used to leading ourselves and we want to weigh where we're going. So we would say, where to? Where to? Jesus says, hey, follow me. Stop what you're doing. Follow me instead. In me, there's hope. In me, there's goodness. In me, there's grace. And I'm not like illuminating a path here. I just want you to follow me, not a path. I think I'd say where to. I think a lot of you would say where to. Because I think what I keep hearing out of people's mouths over and over again when I talk to people about their future, when I talk to people about where they're going or what they're going to do with high school or who they're going to date in high school or whatever, like whatever the thing is, it's just where, is he, where does he want me to go? What does he want me to do? What's God's plan for me? What's God's path for me? Where am I going? Why won't he tell me where I'm going? I want him to tell me 14 steps out. I want him to lay my life. And, and if, if, I, if he'll tell me that, I can evaluate whether I want to do it or not. And then I can tell you if I want to follow him or not. But until he lays out the whole pathway, I can't tell you if I want to follow him or not. Who's still in charge of that? Who's in control of what you do at that point? You are. I think a lot of times the reason we want to have God lay out this whole pathway, explain all of the stuff that's going to be down the road or what's coming next is because we want to know whether we want to choose his way or if we want to take the reins back and go our own. I think if I was in the boat, I would have said, where? The last thing I want you to see in this passage is is that nobody asked him that. 
It would have been ridiculous to, to do so because he wasn't inviting them to follow him somewhere. He was inviting them to follow someone. He wasn't, he wasn't inviting them. He hasn't invited you to follow him somewhere along some path of life or something. He hasn't, he hasn't laid it out like that. What he's invited you to do is to follow him. You're, you've been invited to follow a person, not a pathway. You've been invited to follow a person, not a pathway. And so what they gained that day, when they left some things behind, when they chose to stop doing what they were doing and start doing something completely different, what they gained and what you can gain, what a lot of you have gained, is a person, not a plan. I think it probably frustrates God a lot when, when, when um, uh, we all, those of us who are Christians, we consistently will ask him to tell us what's next, tell us what's next, tell us what's next. And he's like, I just want you to be with me. Like, I, I, didn't, I, never, I never told you there was there's going to be like this runway or this like sidewalk for you to walk. No, I invited you to me, not a sidewalk. I think when we start figuring out who the person of Christ is and the, 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 the hugeness of him, the grandeur of him, the beauty of who he is, and the goodness and the grace and the mercy and the restoration and the provision that we find just in Jesus, all of a sudden what we, what we find out that we need is not, not a plan or a pathway for life. What we just need is him. And that we attach ourselves to the person of Jesus when we get out of the boat and just simply follow him, just to be with him. When we, find, when we figure out what we need is him, then it doesn't matter what's going on. It doesn't matter what comes. It doesn't matter how hard things get. It doesn't matter how great things are because we just have him. He's what we need. You don't need a plan. You need him. Jesus walks up to some people and he says, follow me. Just follow me. For each and every one of us, he's extended that same invitation. He's, in, he's invited us to follow him. But we, we, we get it that sideways. What we hear is, follow me and I'll do something. Follow me and I'll show you something. Follow me. But it's just him. It's invited you to follow a person on a path. Our band's going to come up and they're going to lead us in a, a time of response. And, and all, all I want you to do with this, um, I, just want you to have, I just want you to evaluate some stuff. Um, and because here's here's what I know to be true, I I know that if I give you some practical steps for things for, for you to be working on, um, you're you're probably not going to do it. Because I, I know that you're motivated, like your like your life changes by you you recognizing something in yourself. And so I need you to recognize some things in yourself. So so just 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 track with me here. Just for, just answer these questions just in your own heart and mind. On the whole. When you think about the course of your life, the last year, two years, three years, whatever, when you think about your plans going forward, listen, look at me. Are you following you or have you been following Jesus? Who are you following? Have you, are you following you or are you following Jesus? I just answer that very practically. It's like a sim- pretty simple question. On the whole, by and large, like if you had to weigh it out, are you following you or are you following Jesus? Let me ask you this. When you, when, you're, when you think about drawing near to Jesus, is it because you want him or because you want a plan from him? What do you want from him? Do you want him just to be with him or do you want a plan or like do you want him to provide power for your thing? Like, Do you want him or do you want him to do something? 